Electricast. Well, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Uh, today's guest is another great guest from our friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicist, Eileen McDar. Eileen is CEO, Chief Energy Officer at the Resiliency Group. There, she draws on practical business know-how, life experience, and years of consulting with major national and international organizations, including global pharmaceuticals, the U.S. Armed Forces, healthcare associations, and religious institutions. In 2019, Global Gurus ranked McDar number one in its world's top 30 communication professionals list following a global survey of 22,000 business professionals. And I think once you listen to this interview, you're going to understand why she was voted into that list. We're going to be talking primarily about her new book, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Now, this was a fantastic interview, folks. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of fun chatting with Eileen, and I really loved her answer to the question, what does the burden of command mean to you? Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this a lot. So I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Eileen McDar. All right, listeners, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. Uh, as mentioned in the uh, pre-roll, I'm here uh, with Eileen McDar. Eileen, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Oh, no, I'm, I'm very excited about this. And um uh, I want to get you started where I start all of my guests with that one question. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? First off, I have to tell you, I love that phrase because it really it really had me thinking, Earl, uh, ever since you reached out and said, let's, let's do this interview. Um, and I, I think as we you know, as we enter 2021, there's two ways to look at this burden of command. To me, burden of command says that when you are in a position of leadership, when you have a commanding role, the burden is that you carry the weight of whomever it is that is, quote, under your leadership or under your command. And I think one of the really grave, distressing things that has happened uh, in, in the last four years is to look at how the burden was never picked up by too many people who had the title of, quote, leader, quote, commander, that people were basically abandoned and left on their own. Um, and I find that incredibly upsetting um, and distressing, as well as um, denigrating for whatever kind of command position they hold. So I think we've seen some models of what burden of command is not. Um, I also think that burden of command, when I think about, because it made me think, where, Eileen, what have you done over your life in which you accepted the burden of command? And I, I remember a phrase that I read by the gentleman who founded this incredible, uh, this incredible, it's called the Aravind Eye Clinic in India. Um, he has since passed away, but he decided that cataracts, are the leading cause of blindness in India. And as a physician, he wanted to do something about that. And he made the statement that leadership comes from a place that troubles your heart. Because it troubled his heart, he accepted the burden of what can I do as a surgeon when cataract is the leading cause of blindness in India. And what this man did, oh my gosh, Earl, his hands were so crippled with arthritis. He literally had to teach himself how to do surgery again with these crippled fingers. The way that he did surgery on the cataract patients is imagine that you he was in the center of a wheel and the patients were like spokes of a wheel. And so instead of wasting time bringing in one patient at a time, he circled around the wheel and performed the cataract operation. It is, it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. But I think that's an example of someone who said, leadership comes from a place that troubles your heart. Um, so I think leadership also says, to what do I say yes? And to what do I say no to? 
and in my in my business over the past really almost 40 years when I've had potential clients come up and ask me to do specific things when I take this I've realized that um, even when I quote needed the money because um, it's really easy to say yes <laughs> when you need the money <laughs> right. there were a couple of them that I turned down because their values and my values were not in sync and I said I can't I'm sorry I can't help you with that. So I think that burden of command is also a, a, a burden. I'm not sure. Like Sometimes that burden is a blessing mm-hmm. because when you accept it, it can become a blessing for the people whom you help. Wow. No, I, I love everything you said in that answer. And that's a very well uh, thought out answer. I, I, I love I love that piece about uh uh, how did it go? Leadership is the thing. Leadership that, comes from a place that troubles your heart. I I love that. I'm gonna uh, write that down. That's going right in my my quote. Uh, Go uh, my do quote that. Book. His name is when uh, I will email you, Earl. Uh, he's got a very long, complicated name that I can never say, and so he was always called Doctor V, like V for Victory, Doctor V, because it was like fuzzajanamani. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say what it was, but I will I will send you that and the link to the Arvind um, Eye Clinic, which now is, I mean, they've started clinics around around the world. Yeah, well, it's a I mean, cool, it's a cool story. No, it is, it is. I'm definitely going to look into that because I mean, it's true, right? I mean, it's uh, leadership, like actually leading people, is is not a an act for the faint of heart. So it has to be something that motivates you and stirs you to to make a difference. It, it does. Otherwise, you're not a leader. You're a taker. Right. And oh. uh, that's what I said. I've been very distressed that over the last four years, I've seen a lot of taking and not a lot of leading. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, you know, I mean, that's a great point as well, because it's true. I mean, when you're in a leadership position, you're there to lead everyone, not just the people who agree with you, not just your favorites. You're there to look out for a team of people, and sometimes those are going to be people that you may have very, very fundamental uh, philosophy-type differences with, but you still have that same responsibility to take care of them and look out for their needs, right? It's true. And I also think one of the burdens is to realize that there is no way one person in this incredibly complicated world can have all of the answers. So when someone stands back and says, I know better than anybody else, and if you disagree with me, you're gone. That's not leadership. It's not accepting the burden of command. It's saying, it's just, it, there's no leadership at all. So um, anyway, that's my that's my take on your wonderfully fascinating question. Yeah, no, I mean, I love it. That, that in and of itself was a great conversation. And again, I like the last point you made there is, I can't remember who said it, and it's been said in a few different iterations over uh, over history, but I, I love the point you just made because uh, the, the saying is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It's, really, it's really true. We just, we just can't. We can't know all this stuff. And so there's part of the burden of command is also the burden of humility. Mm-hmm. No, you know, to be humble enough to say, I don't know how to do all of this. So I need to put around me people who are smarter than I am in places that I just, I can't know. So I need to surround myself with folks like that. Well, and what I love here, and this is a great segue because, uh, you know, again, uh, your book, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Mm-hmm. I I would guess that it, for a lot of leaders who can't accept that, that uh, quest, if you will, to be the know-all and uh, have all the answers and be the singular point of information for their team, that's got to lead to burnout pretty doggone quick, right? Well, Will, among the people whom you quote, and I'll put this in quotes, the people whom you manage, the people whom you lead. So in the book, I while it is 
primarily uh, written for the individual to say, you know, what's happening to me? Am I in this place of burnout? What is it that I can do for myself? There's also an entire chapter on what does an organization do that can light this flame? And there are many things that managers do, knowingly or unknowingly, that create this this overwhelming, um, not only amount of work, but also how people are treated. You can be burned out doing little work because you're you're disregarded by uh, by a manager, by your team. You're feeling very alone. You get no kind of feedback. And if you want your voice to be heard, you're discounted. Well, why should I bother to say anything? Nobody ever listens to me anyway. And if someone says that, that's something that tells me that's something I need to hear. So there is also a leadership responsibility for saying, what is it that I am doing? that is creating this place of, which burnout, by the way, is it's mental, physical, emotional exhaustion caused by trying to reach some unrealistic expectation imposed upon by yourself or others. So the expectation is I'm supposed to be able to do 2,700 Zoom calls in a day. Oh, well, I, I guess I'm supposed to do this mountain of work. I guess I'm supposed to be able to juggle all of these these calls and answer these emails. And oh my gosh, here comes my kid and I got schooling at home or you know and so we extend extend and in the process we end up disillusioned uh as i said exhausted in, in many ways exhaustion in many ways um disheartened uh no interest anymore in what it is that you were doing it's really it's different from stress um it, it's more it's more complete so part of the burden of command is for a leader or manager to step back and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What am I doing? And there are wonderful examples of leaders who have stepped back to say, you know, in the middle of all this, I need I need to reach out to my team. And that's not just to reach out to your first lieutenants. That's to reach out to everyone, to have individual conversations, to admit your own vulnerability, your own, you know what, I'm scared about this too, guys. I'm not sure what we do in the next three months, but let's figure out what we do in the next three days. Um, so so it, it's really taking the concept of management and leadership and making it more personal but therefore also more vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, I mean, again, that is powerful. Like that, that being able to, to ask for help and, you know, on the, on the flip side is when you take a swing and you're wrong, being able to admit that piece mm. too. Right. 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 And it's, um, and it's to for everyone. So I want you to think of the organization, not as a hierarchy, but as a circle. And within this circle, everyone brings something into the party. And when there's an error, a, we'll call it a mistake. Um, I like to think of it as a, a piece of wisdom. Oh, what's the piece of wisdom we got here? Well, we tried this over here and you know, it just, boy, it didn't work and it cost a bunch of money. Oh, all right, let's be wise about this. What is it that we could do differently? What is the lesson that's created for us all? created for us here and those lessons are all by the way can come within any part of the organization it's not the innermost circle sometimes those answers that come to us are on the outer rings of that circle because mm -hmm. they see things that we don't because we're so close to it yep. it's kind of like well, if you invite somebody to your house back in the days and we could invite people to our house <laughs> right. and uh, you know someone will walk in and, and i live in southern california so i'm close to the beach and someone might say, wow, listen to that surf. You know what, Earl? I didn't hear that surf. Right. I'm so accustomed to the surf, I no longer hear it. And it was someone on the outer circle that said, whoa, listen to that. Well, that's a, a metaphor, I think, for what can also happen uh, for us in our organizations and our businesses. It's those, that fresh set of eyes, that fresh set of ears that says, oh, Wow, look at that. Oh dear, you're right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean and 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 that's something that's really shifted over the last uh, you know, maybe decade or two as well. Like experience used to mean how much time you'd spent in an organization or in a profession. And now, I mean there's still value to that. 
But like you just said, there's a lot of value to those individuals who are just coming into an organization just based off of the uh, the sheer rapid pace of uh, the way technologies and techniques are changing in virtually every sector of business right now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so there's something called reverse mentoring. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a senior in an organization, I might take one of our newer employees and quote offer to mentor them if they were interested but i would also ask that employee to mentor me and by that i mean many of these the the younger ones which you have as part of that that's part of the demographic that's listening to this podcast you guys listening to this podcast you have ideas and understand technology that some of us who are older we don't get you need to mentor me. You need to tell me how to use this in an optimum way. At the same time, what we're also experiencing, and it can be another cause of burnout, what I think of as a prompt, is that we can become so involved in technology. It's what I call a technology tyrant. Mm-hmm. That everything, every technology controls us rather than us controlling the technology. So um, there's there's two ways. There's always two ways to, to look at this. But I, lo- I really like that idea of reverse mentoring. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, and it's true in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you know, we, we, we talk a lot in society now about uh, gender gaps and, and glass ceilings. And, you know, I tell you, one of the most valuable things that I've done in, in my career was what you just said. But I, I sought out, um, it was an organization I was with that had a mentoring program, and I sought out the highest ranking female leader that was in the mentoring pool. Mm. And you know, I, I did it on purpose, and I told her uh, in my, because we had to make kind of a sales pitch to the mentors, right? It was, it was a neat little mm-hmm. deal. But I told her, I said, look, I don't want you as my mentor. I need you as my mentor, and oh. here's why. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm never going to understand <laughs> female issues unless I have somebody help me understand these female issues. Right. And it was great. It was a great learning experience. How wise of you, Earl, to see that. Well, yeah, I, I want to, if, if you could see me, I just saluted you. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really, really, that's really, really smart. To, to acknowledge and there's and think of it right now the conversations that we're having um when it comes to the whole issues of of race relationships mm-hmm. there's so much we don't understand we claim we do but it's not in my at least it's not in my history and i'm thinking it's not in your history nope. this is the time when we get to listen i mean really listen to tell me what i don't know what i don't understand so in many ways, I believe that what this pandemic has done for us, Earl, is it's opened us up to possibilities that we didn't know existed. And let me give you a, an example of, and I read about this, it just struck me, because uh, this is exactly what I think is happening here. And part of the thing in, in overcoming burnout and building resilience, you know, to refuel, recharge, and reclaim what matters is being able to look at something that at face value looks a horrible, terrible, ugh, and to reframe it, to be, to be what I think of as intelligently optimistic, mm. not stupidly optimistic, but until, and say, what, whoa, what, what, what's the lesson here? And in the 1850s, there was a massive storm that swept across England. I mean, just a horrible thing. Uh, four ships were lost, all hands down, uh, gone. Uh, another passenger ship that was bound toward Ireland. They managed to save a couple people there, but just apparently a horrific storm. And when, after two, three days, when the storm abated, the residents on the island of Orkney, which is a little island off the coast of Scotland, went out finally and there's a spit of land and it's called now it's called Scarabre and the storm but combined with the wind the tides the waves had been so ferocious it literally Earl lifted up the top layers of that soil and when the villagers went out they looked in what is now a hole in the ground and they saw houses Mm. Houses that they never knew existed. Houses that decades later with anthropology, archaeology, realized they were older 
than Stonehenge, older than the Great Pyramids, but we never knew they existed until the catastrophic storm revealed what's been hidden. I think what our opportunity here is, Earl, is that a lot of the stuff that we need to pay attention to has been hidden over the, over the years, over the decades. We just keep pouring stuff over it, figuring, well, that doesn't matter. And now, all of a sudden, in this, quote, crisis, the soil has been ripped away. And now we get to say, oh, my gosh, look what exists. And how could we use this and learn from this and create a different kind of world? Mm. Uh, I agree 100%. And that's why I love uh, I love history and, and tying history in with leadership. So I love that story. Uh, that is a very, is a great story. Um, you know, because, I mean, you're right. Uh, you know, there there's very few things that we face as a society that are actually new anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've, we've faced all of this stuff. I mean, look at what we're going through now. We face pandemics before. We, we know what it takes. We know what to do. But we forgot that we knew what it took to get through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a great story um, uh, because – First of all, yeah, none of us know exactly what's below our feet right now. I I'm, live outside of Indianapolis right now, uh, so I haven't had this experience much, but I grew up in northeast Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, what I, I remember going out with my uncle, every time we'd have a big storm that would come through, we'd go out to the fields and look for arrowheads. Oh. Yeah, and uh, you know we would always find arrowheads, like always, and... It never really dawned on me what was going on until I got older, and it was what you just said. You know, the the storms, the rain, it washes away uh, a layer of something and reveals things that we forgot were there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The um, I had a call from um, they were the folks who were involved in uh, in the state of Colorado. I think it was Colorado. And it's been during this time that's been going on, and we couldn't quite get the dates to work out for me to come and talk to them. But they they wanted to talk about resilience, but they also realized that one of the things that they've uncovered, and these were, you know, civil servants who were in charge of um, allocating, you know, what housing goes here, what are the, the rules. She said, we realized when we looked at this that we've been operating under some systems that were from the 1920s mm. that basically allocated what kind of people could live where. Redlining. And we hadn't looked at it. Yeah. yeah. Redlining, right? That's what they were talking yes. about? Yes, redlining. Mm-hmm. Redlining. How much, you know, how much did a house cost? You know, what kind of down payment did you need? What were the, that um, it had been, and until this happened, they didn't really look at what have we inherited that we just took for granted but forgot how it got there to begin with right yeah no absolutely um you know my my business partner and i uh you know we do a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion work and those are things that we talk about because you know when when people talk of use the term systemic racism it's not always about those kind of overt uh, things, you know, the, the KKK, the uh, white supremacy, you know, all those things. It's, it's those types of policies. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of policies that were created uh, for that purpose of, of segregating the population that, like you just pointed out, we forgot that that's why they were created. And now they're just there. They're there. They're sitting on the books. Um, and that's just one small example. But what I see here, again, if someone will accept the, the burden of command, the burden is to look at that and say, whoa, how can we change this? We do not have to cover it up with more dirt again mm-hmm. and pretend it didn't exist. You know, the other thing, Earl, that I think is interesting, and I, I need to do a lot more research on this scarabre. Um, the day comes when we can travel. I want to go to Orkney. I want to see this for myself. The houses um, 
were totally intact, except for I think the roofs were gone. And they, one house connected to the other, connected to the other. There was no palace. There was no um, throne room. There was, everything was equal. Mm-hmm. Which I, that fascinated me too. <laughs> that it was, um, that everything was was equal so i need to i need to do more exploration um about this but um i didn't realize your work was in uh, diversity and inclusion so we have we have opportunities here great yeah no and that's what we do so my my partner and i we focus on we call it uh, what we call the inextricable link between leadership diversity and inclusion you know, a lot of programs, they'll teach diversity, they'll teach inclusion, they'll teach leadership, but very few teach them all. And, and, and you know, it's kind of hard to have some of those things, any of those things without the other things. Uh, you can't. And, and furthermore, part of the teaching isn't giving them theory and stuff. It's, it's holding, teaching how to have the conversation that right. we haven't wanted to have. Exactly. And exactly. how do we listen with courage? I, yes, 100 percent you know because as as we were just talking you know with those those policies right Right. uh nobody today most okay let me say most people today don't see those as as racist policies because they haven't been necessarily race-based for 50 years ish but when you try to tell them hey this is where they came from they get offended well i'm not a racist well, no, nobody said that. <laughs> We're just yeah. trying to tell you this is why those policies actually exist. And, you know, even uh, with organizational policies, like even without the race-based stuff, you know, when there's, there's you know, shady practices and things like that, you know, those can become part of the culture. And if you're not willing to reconcile, uh, hey, you know, this accounting practice is no longer kosher. We got to change the way we we track things. Your organization is doomed because eventually somebody's going to make that mistake or make that connection and hey this is the way we always did it is not a valid argument in court right right <laughs> right well there was um and so i don't want to misquote someone but one of the newspapers out of the dc area an editorial was making fun of jill biden and said she mm. had no business using her doctor jill biden because it was it was an education what right what do you mean? That's less valid? And is it because it's Jill Biden? What if it had been Joe Biden? Right. Could they use, I mean, that, I mean, just to read that was just so, the whole thing was so demeaning and so offensive. Um, so again, it's the burden of leadership. And I think people who, you and I are wordsmiths. We teach, we write. So there's a burden for us to what are the words that we say? Um, and I'm, always learning. I'm amazed at some of the things, honestly, Earl, that come out of my mouth until a colleague calls me on it and said, do you know what that really means? I go, oh, no, right. you're kidding. Really? Of course, I, I, I grew up very, very naive. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I still am in many ways. <laughs> well, it, 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 you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, it's been one of these weird things for me because, uh, you know, I grew up, again, Northeast Tennessee, and we said folks for everything. Folks, come on over. Folks, it's time to eat, you know. But I was always told going through school, you know, don't say that. That's too informal. Say ladies and gentlemen. Oh, really? Right. Well, okay. So I get this beat into my head, ladies and gentlemen. Well, now we come into the modern era and uh, we have all the gender issues and all the different gender identity issues. And now I'm being told, and rightfully so, you know, hey, ladies and gentlemen, that's too narrow. Uh, you may be excluding non-binary people. You may be excluding transgender people. Oh, say, dear. Say folks. Well, that's what I started out saying. <laughs> that's very funny. That's very, well, it's a piece of that. And see, these are things that I need to learn, too. Right. Well, we all do. And, and you know, and again, that's one of the things that my partner and I, we, we, we focus on a bit is... Uh, is uh, a lot of people talk about emotional intelligence. We like to talk about emotional ignorance <laughs> because it's Got it's it. it's that right. It's it's you know, and we calm people down. All ignorance means is a lack of knowledge. We're here to help you fill in knowledge gaps. Right, and right. Uh, it 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 gets 
it's funny. It always gets us a little wide-eyed look at the beginning. But once we explain it, we go through some examples. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I do have a lot of emotional, ignorant points of view because I don't, as we talked about before. I'm never going to understand African-American issues. I'm never going to understand women's issues. Uh, I'm not a member of the LGBT community. I'm not going to understand those issues. I have to admit that and be willing to learn, like you just said. I love it. So one thing, uh, and I'd be remiss if we didn't kind of chat about this uh, with the listeners, because you pointed out something in your book that I didn't actually know. And I would assume maybe most of my listeners, maybe they did. I don't know. My listeners are probably a lot smarter than I am. But burnout has actually been identified as a health uh, issue. Yeah, the World Health Organization in May of 2019 uh, listed it in its classification of occupational hazards globally. Mm -hmm. They did not call it a disease. They listed it as an occupational hazard, and they and they listed the the um, the the symptoms, if you will, of burnout. Um, So that was that was for them to be able to say that. uh, What was a big deal? And I've got stats that that really circle the globe about the way people have, quote, worked. My only issue with the World Health Organization is that I don't think they went far enough. When they limited it to occupational hazard, I think it is a life hazard. Mm. The reason I say that is in some cases, work is my place of sanity. And it's when I go back into that home environment that I'm burning out. I've got the demands on me of perhaps a spouse, uh, some teenage kids, and oh my gosh, I'm caring for my mother um, who is in the early stages of dementia. Mm. And I'm trying to balance all of this stuff. And then so when I go into work is where I get to breathe. So I, it would have been great if they could have made it larger. But at least at least that opens up the conversation. And frankly, Earl, uh, I'd been lecturing on resilience uh, for decades uh, in conjunction with with um, engagement and connection because ultimately resilience is about energy management and how do you get energy you get it through connections that's how you get it in your power grid there's a connection in the power grid if it's good you get energy that goes from the from the um, energy source you know and voila you know your lights go on in your house or you turn the key and voila good energy flow battery kicks in the car moves forward bad energy bad connection it's drained the battery doesn't start the car doesn't start the light doesn't go on so i've been talking about this for a long 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 time what was what's interesting is that um i was with some 5,000 pharmacists in March of last year. And, and so that would be 20, that'd be 2019. And what they wanted was using resilience to overcome burnout. And inevitably, in the last two years, I don't count 2020 right now, um, people wanted to talk about resilience, but it was always in the context of burnout. And when the World Health Organization finally in May of 2019 put it on their classification. I said, okay, that's it. That's why I have to write the book. I've been talking about this. Well, Eileen, talk is cheap. You know that, Earl. <laughs> talk is cheap. Do something that'll help more people instead of just the people that you could stand in in front of. So um, so that's actually how the, the book came to be, was I had to give myself a good talking to and say, talk's cheap. Put it down, Eileen. Put it in writing. Well, no, I, I like that. I like that energy management piece because, you know, it's one of the things, um, you know, as a Marine, we, we talked a lot about resiliency and, uh, you know, they would do these things where they would, uh, you know, through training exercises, you know, you'd have to stay up for 24 hours at a time and all this good stuff. And that was it. It was like, well, this is how you get used to it. This is how you become more resilient. You have to you have to do it. And me being the inquisitive young uh, private first class I was at the time. I said, well, Sergeant, you know, what happens if I'm practicing being resilient and I've stayed up for 24 hours and then the metaphorical shit hits the fan and now I've got to stay up for 48 more? That doesn't seem very sustainable. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Yeah. And the answer that you received was? Uh, it, it was kind of a blank stare and just, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, well, this is what we've always done, really, is what it boiled down to. I don't remember the exact words, but... 
that was really what it boiled down to is, well, this is the way we've always trained. This is the way we're going to keep training. Well, and I think um, now, so you can't quote me because I'm not a Marine, haven't been a Marine. <laughs> uh, but um, it, just from your description, it sounds like the definition there was grit. Mm-hmm. Grit meaning you just put your teeth together and you hang on and you never let anything go. Well, that's fine to a point, but I'm not sure that's what resilience is really all about. I think resilience is growing through challenge or opportunity. So you end up wiser, smarter, and better on the other side. If there's no growth, I don't think you're being resilient. I think you're hanging on. You're like the bulldog that holds on to the bone. And even if his teeth cut off, he's never going to let it go. That doesn't mean the bulldog got any smarter. Just meant he had some strong teeth. Right. You know, it, just, it just meant that, you know, you could put the toothpicks in your eyes to keep your eyelids up or something like that. Um, I think resilience, and that's maybe why we talk about it so much, that there is this harder part of resilience because it's the softer part of resilience. And the softer part is what do we learn from this? You know, what? why is it that I'm staying up for 24 hours? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? What's the, you know, there's just different, different ways of looking at things that could make me wiser. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I like that. And, and, you know, that's the, I think that's the key. Like when you look at nature, the, the things that we, we look at as, as resilient, they're, they're not the quote hardest objects out there. They're the ones that have the most built in flexibility. Brilliant. See, that's brilliant, Earl, because what we're saying is it's in biology, it's called requisite variety. Mm-hmm. And it says that the organism with the greatest number of responses to a situation, the one that survives. Yep. Call it response. It's the same thing. So it's not the strongest of the species that survives. It's not the wealthiest that survives. It's the one who is the most adaptable. It is the one who can find many ways of responding to a challenge or opportunity because opportunities are going to take a lot of energy out of you so when you started your podcast you know you hadn't you hadn't started a podcast before you spent a lot of energy i bet earl trying to study out okay so what what's the what's the platform that i want and who am i going to have on as guests how am i going to promote these things and how am i going so you were spending some energy right there trying to get this podcast it was an opportunity for you but it required a lot of energy a hundred percent no i mean that's exactly right i mean uh, you know, in the beginning, this thing was was a pain. I mean, I was putting out an <laughs> episode every two weeks, and that was taking it out of me. And uh, but, like you said, you know, I, I took the time. I learned some tools. Uh, you know, the the first time, like, oh, you would have hated uh, wanting to come on my show in the beginning because it was like, you know, hey, Eileen, I've got this date open. How does that work for you? And then I found this wonderful tool called uh, Calendly and uh, Calendly. And I can schedule it. And you can pick what day works for you. <laughs> you know, that's so, so, but I, I like that, you know. Uh, and, and I think that's the thing that we're seeing right now with a lot of organizations. And this is where my, my business partner and I really come in. I You know, I tell folks straight up, like, look, I don't teach diversity and inclusion because I'm a diversity and inclusion person. I teach okay. diversity and inclusion because I'm into success. The more uh, diversity, the more inclusion you have, the more flexible you're going to be, the more resilient you're going to be, the more success you're going to be able to have. Any questions? Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and if you think about it, success is, you know, this feeling of accomplishment, being able to have growth. Yes, there's a dollar volume that is connected to it. But right now, it's even staying power. I might, make, might not make a lot of money right now, but do I have staying power? Mm-hmm. Because staying power means you're in the game. Yes. Well, and I think, and and I'm going to be very interested to see, you know, where your work and research goes, uh, you know, post-COVID. But I'm going to make a guess here, and maybe you've already seen some of these numbers. But the organizations right now who have been good about uh, reducing burnout, uh, being, you know, investing in resiliency, taking care of their people, are seeing a higher success rate right now through COVID, are going to see a higher success rate uh, being still in the game post-COVID, 
and are going to have less competitors because they didn't take the time to take these uh, steps that you outline in your book. You know, I think um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that all rolls out. But the but the organizations that can, and the word we see right now, people are saying pivot. Um, I like the word. My only problem with the word pivot, if I told you to pivot, it meant that one foot stayed where it was mm-hmm. and you went around. Sometimes I think you have to take the foot, both feet off and step 12 inches to the right. Right. So, um, so it's going to be fascinating, but I'm, I'm seeing some amazing, interesting things. Um, one of them, and, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember this gentleman's name. He is the CEO for the company that makes, it's called Otter, O-T-T-E-R. And that's the, uh, waterproof case for your smartphone. Oh, right. Otterbox. Yeah. Um, and they're out of, um. They're out of Colorado. Okay. And when all of this came down, he knew, he knew that his folks were going to be, you know, just, we went into this pandemic panic. Now, I don't know if he still does that, but basically he had an all hands meeting with everyone to tell them what was going on. He reduced his salary to a dollar. Mm. His senior executives reduced theirs. He told them he's got a plant, right? So people have to come in. If you are, if you must stay home because you're caring for someone or your health would be threatened, you may stay home and we will continue to pay you. Mm. What? You're going to pay me? Love you got to be kidding me. Now, there's the cynic that'll say, yeah, they took advantage of him. I've got to tell you, I'll bet you that man built up more loyalty. Mm-hmm. By being able to do that, and he had a couple hundred employees. Um, I thought, wow, that's that's so smart. And then he would um, he would have a, a counselors um, who could talk about what was going on, and and then the employees could have you know could have a a session with one of the counselors to talk about you know what what are your fears, what are you you know what what's happening for you. Because this is this is not something that you can always deal with on your own, which is why. And you you raised this question earlier, um, Earl. The difference between PTSD and PTSG. There's post traumatic stress syndrome, and there's post traumatic stress growth. Mm-hmm. And the growth part to me is where, and oftentimes help from someone on the outside or perhaps someone in the family, you begin to say, what is my growth potential because of what I've just experienced? Yeah. No, I mean, that is a beautiful story. It reminds me of um, uh, very similar. Uh, it was during the economic downturn in 2008. Uh, Barry Chapman, uh, or excuse me, Bob Chapman, uh, CEO of, of Barry Waymiller. Uh, he, uh, I don't know if you've heard this story or not, uh, but just for the listeners who haven't, uh, during the ter- downturn, his team came to him, his team of, of uh, senior executives, with this whole package of how to reduce several million dollars to, to stay afloat. And obviously, uh, their first cut was uh, layoffs. Sure. And Bob was like, no, we're not doing that. He goes, you need to make those same cuts. His challenge then was, Figure out a way to make those same cuts without laying off a single person. And so they came back with this uh, rolling furlough. I mean, there was a bunch of other things they did, but they came out with this rolling furlough plan. And he said, look, my one stipulation to this before you brief me out on it is it's everybody, myself included. And so they did the same thing, right? They came up with this plan. They got everybody together, uh, the entire team from the janitor all the way up to Bob. And he laid out the plan and he told him what the deal was. He's like, look, nobody's going to get laid off. Nobody's going to get fired, but we all have to have some shared suffering, myself included. And so they came up with, it was going to be two weeks per employee. Well, what was very interesting about that, what, what he noted was even in his senior staff, the people who were better equipped to take more time off started seeking out the people who couldn't afford to have two weeks and said, Hey, I'll take your two weeks for you so you can keep working. Wow. Yeah. 
and it was it, it was just this amazing thing, like you said, the the loyalty piece, and we. I, I don't want to say, I'll, I'll say we, as, as humans, we forget how powerful that short-term sacrifice to take care of our people can be, right? Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think that says, that says volumes. So it's not, what's the title that I have? You know, what's my chance for promotion? You know, any of the traditional things. But how is it that we link arms and go through this together? Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm finding for myself, I've, I've made connections that I, I wouldn't have done, Earl, without this. I it just, you know, it, it pushes you in a different way. And it is my hope. Um, and I, I'm trying very hard to be the intelligent optimism, the optimist that with this, that we do grow through. We find ways to refuel and recharge. And really say what matters. What matters for many, not what matters for the few. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Eileen, if you can believe it, we've been talking now, closing in on 50 minutes. Wow. I know. It's, it, this, is, this is absolutely uh, flown by. And it's been great discussion. And, uh, you know, again, for the listeners, uh, I've been chatting with Eileen McDar author of Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. I highly, highly suggest you go get a copy of the book. It's laid out very well. There's a lot of actionable items here. But the one thing that I love, and and I really do wish more books, especially in this space, would do more of, are the questions that you ask throughout the book to get people really thinking um, and, and I will encourage everybody who goes through this book, answer these questions and take the necessary time to answer these questions honestly about yourself. Uh, it's easy to sugarcoat these things, especially when you're asking yourself these tough questions and, you know, hey, yeah, I only gained like six or seven pounds or my pants shrunk. <laughs> But, you know, these are the types of questions that you have to be willing to be honest with yourself for. Uh, and, and please do that. Um, so, Eileen, again, thank you for the book and thank you for the way you laid it out. Oh, you're welcome. You know, the book that preceded this is called Your Resiliency GPS. Uh, and GPS stands for your growth potential strategy. And they did the same thing in that. With each chapter, here are some questions to be reflective upon. Because I think... Earl, when is a book more than a book? When it's a conversation fire starter. Mm. When it starts a conversation, like you and I are having a conversation, but the conversation first starts with myself. Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm saying to myself? What am I, what, you know, what, what's my voice in my head talking to me? So thank you very much. I appreciate that you found value in that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, uh, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you would like to share with the audience. Wow. You know, we, I just loved our conversation so much. Earl. It just makes me, just makes me sit here and smile. It's a, it's a lovely way. I'm not sure when this will play, but it's a lovely way to think that we are going to, um, you know, roll out the, the 2020 and enter 2021. Um, I just, just one thought. And actually it's a, it's a quote that just keeps coming back to me. And it is this. It's from Howard Zinn, the philosopher who said, To have hope, one does not need certainty. One only needs possibility. Mm. And I would like for us to move into 2021 looking at not what I know with certainty, but what do I, what do I see with potential, with possibility? Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. No, that's a good way to uh, that's a good way to look at it, and I love that quote. Um, yeah. Well, again, Eileen, thank you for being with us. Um, I really, really hope that we've piqued some people's interest, and they're going to go uh, grab the book. Uh, but if they're interested in working with you or finding out more about what you do, uh, how can they find out more? 
Well, for one thing, Eileen Makdar, as far as we can figure out, is I have the that only name in the entire universe. Once my grandmother died, <laughs> we think it's mine. But you can go to my website, which is EileenMakdar.com or TheResiliencyGroup.com. My books are up there. You'll find the topics that I lecture on. You will also see that um, I serve as a management consultant, which means I facilitate teams to talk with each other. That's also there. You can email me, Eileen at EileenMacDar.com. You can sign up for my, my e-sign. I do one blog a week. Um, so there's lots of resources up there. I'm really, I'm really believe in giving people resources to take with them that they can use. Mm. No, I love that. I love that. Oh, and I'm also on LinkedIn too. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. You okay. can find me on Twitter too. So follow me on both of those. I'll definitely uh, connect with you there. And uh, that way my followers can find you easier, but we'll definitely have those links in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, again, thank you very much for the time. It's been a great conversation. Loved it. Thank you so much, Earl. It was my pleasure. Well, uh, I, I had a lot of pleasure out of it, too, so don't you don't get to take it all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, listeners, uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, uh, any ideas for guests, uh, future topics, just want to say hello, burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, reach out there, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible uh, with that. Um, thank you for continuing the support for the show, uh, sharing episodes, uh, writing the reviews, getting friends and family involved. I really appreciate everything y'all have done. I know 2020 has been a rough year. Uh, by the time this airs, we'll be in 2021, and hopefully we'll all be in a much better spot, as Eileen said. Uh, so good luck, and uh, I want to say thank you all for everything. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.